Hi everyone, this is Joshua Hoffman and welcome to another episode of the Masters in Marketing Agency podcast, where we deconstruct the why and how agency owners found their success and discuss a few things they learned along the way. Today I have Jeff Swartz, the founder and CEO of Ethic Advertising Agency, an agency focused on hyper-targeted digital advertising and creative services. Welcome, Jeff. Yeah, thanks for having me, Josh. Of course. And we spoke briefly before, um, and you actually mentioned that you always wanted to start an agency, which I think is is very interesting, um, even since like the age of 19 and 20 is what you mentioned. So, uh, But I, you also mentioned that you your college didn't have an advertising major. So I just want you to kind of explain how you kind of, I guess, let's say, get got around that. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in long-term vision planning, and I kind of have been able to define it as I got older. But when I was in college, it was kind of even ingrained in me. So I went to University of Dayton, and um, I kind of started formulating that I wanted to get into the advertising world. Had a really great internship at a small ad agency called The Next Wave in uh, Dayton, Ohio. And that's really when I was about 20, and I, I, it solidified for me that I want to run one of these things one day. Um Dayton at that time didn't have like a specific advertising uh, major. So that's where I started to kind of piece things together, realizing how much goes into running an actual ad agency of needing to know the analytics and you know the business side of things, needing to know the creative side of things as well. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that's where I was like, all right, well, I'm going to start mixing some things together because I loved my school and I was already, you know, deeply into it and everything. And, and anybody that's, that's, that's gone, you know, obviously a professional or anybody that's in college, you know, your major is one thing, but what you do with your career can be completely different. So I started mixing things together. So I have a major in electronic media communications, which is audio and video production. But then I picked up a minor in marketing, minor in sociology and took a bunch of visual art classes as well. Do you think that combo kind of gave you a check mark for advertising or was there obviously there's still a lot to learn and everything, but like in college sense, do you think yeah, that kind of I, I, I think it gave me a, a little bit of of a check mark. I graduated in 07, so I graduated right in the midst of a recession and everything. Um, but it you know, a major and, you know, everybody's got a good degree nowadays. And it seems like everybody's got an MBA nowadays and, and, and stuff. So it's one of those things of what you actually study is one thing, but it's actually the experience that I got from an internship. It was this experience that I got from actually writing my own blogs that got, that's actually how I got my first job within there was not from having those, that mix of um, education or, or anything, but it was actually uh, someone from uh, Milwaukee Journal Sentinel wrote an article about my blogs that got picked up and kind of traded this chain reaction thing that ended up me landing my, my first gig. Um, but, you know, I'm a big believer that if you look at where you want to go, there's going to be a lot of those pit stops along the way. So my education is one pit stop. My experience that I was kind of collecting while in college from internships and just, you know, extracurricular kind of stuff was another thing. And then, um, you know, just continuing that over time. I worked on the uh, agency side. I worked on the vendor side. I, you know, also started getting into real estate investing as well, too, to learn some business um, uh, uh business side of things as well. So it's a mix of a lot of different things that kind of roll up into being able to efficiently run an agency. And in all honesty, I kind of stumbled into a, a bad thing of being focused too much on doing the work and not enough on actually running the agency as well too, which I had to learn as, I, as I've gone over the last nine years with Ethic. Working on the company, not just in the company, I think is uh, the quick little phrase there. 
Um, MBA, just a quick thing on that. I think you're taking your MBA now. Um, what was the reason? You know, obviously you've built a successful marketing or uh, advertising agency. What made you want to go get your MBA? So I, I don't, for me, it's not advancing my career whatsoever. Like there's no, there's no benefit to that or anything. Um, the, there's, there's three reasons really for me to do that. Um, the first one is uh, I just like to do continued education and improve myself. Uh, and that's a really nice structured way of doing it. Um, the other reason is I, I'm kind of a nerd when it comes to stuff and it's kind of a hobby for me. So, um, my wife got her master's, uh, and everything. I was like, okay, this is kind of cool what she's learning. I, I kind of want to do this as well, just for myself. Um, and then the last one is, is I do endeavor to eventually, um, get an adjunct professor role and be able to kind of, you know, share with some young, uh, students, over time, I do guest lectures across the Pittsburgh area uh, at universities for both um, even undergraduate and graduate level courses. So I know that getting my MBA will help me uh, whenever I go to apply at one of the universities to actually land an adjunct professor gig. Well, my favorite, my, or my my normal question here is, is do you think the MBA is worth it? But I'm going to guess your answer is yes, because of your goals of what you want to use it being the adjunct professor and everything like that. Am I kind of correct with that? Yeah, I mean, because it's a lot, the value that I'm getting out of it is exactly what I'm willing to put in it and what I'm spending the money on. It's it's not about getting a bigger salary. It's not about money and everything. It's really about, hey, I want to give somebody money to teach me in a structured environment that will be one step closer to another lifelong goal of being able on a regular basis to teach the next generation of advertisers and marketers. Perfect. Uh, taking a step back, um, obviously, you knew that you wanted to start your advertising agency. You know, that was the goal. How come you didn't start it right out of college? So my thought process was I had no money. I didn't have the skill sets built up. And um, who's going to listen to a 22-year-old kid uh, kind of thing? Um, so my my methodology was actually to build up capital and build up skill sets so I can uh, re- mitigate my risk and actually have it be as successful as possible. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with coming out of college and just going after it. Uh, I do want to make that point. It's not the path that I took, but I don't think there's anything wrong with that. The path that I took was to go out and uh, get a job at a, you know, my first job moved me to Texas. Um, it was a, um, uh, uh, coupon coupon app on your on your cell phone when it was still the Motorola Flip Razor and the iPhone three and stuff uh, and everything and then I went to CBS Television and got experience there on the sales side of things uh, was then brought over to an ad agency that I worked with and became a media buyer and planner and then I wanted to move back up north I'm originally from Ohio uh, so I ended up moving up to Pittsburgh uh, where I am today and going back to CBS to make some more money get some more experience but during that time I also started getting to a little bit of um, house flipping and buying a couple of rentals. So my path, just the way that I was comfortable with it, got me to be 100% debt free, uh, really reduced my risk, got me a good knowledge base, got me some connections as well too, uh, and everything to be able to launch it and try to have success. And I launched Ethic with mentality of, if it doesn't work within a year, at least after you know 10 years of trying to do this, I tried and then it's gonna build me up to have better experience and have a cooler, cooler resume. Uh, for the next thing and through hard work and a little bit of luck um you know this this year it'll be nine years uh that we've been uh going strong and everything so it's it's worked out nicely for us so how'd you get it started uh 
how'd you, you know, what made you finally bite the bullet and then how'd you get your first customer? Yeah. So there was a little bit of, um, being on the, at the TV station, um, and selling, I had, um, a bit of a network of, of individuals and I had one client that I was like, okay, well, this client wants me to do more for them. And I was one person, I was really a consulting person for, you call, uh, for the first two years of, of ethic before I started hiring on people. And, um, that just kind of naturally kind of progressed where I was like, okay, I know that I can do this. The funny thing is, is that particular client, their industry had a massive shift and they cut their ad budgets after two months of being open. So I immediately had that first, Hey, my largest client is gone kind of thing, but I had a lot of time. I didn't have debt. I was working out of my duplex at the top half was paying for the bottom half that I was in. Um, so it was one of those things of, well, I got to kick on the sales thing and, and start talking with more people, uh, and everything. So it was really, um, you know, finding my next big client for that, uh, and then finding other clients to kind of go around there to not be too top heavy on, on any one thing. And I was able to actually do that very, very quickly, uh, just from the, the networking connections. The other thing that was really important is I worked nights and weekends on, figuring out my branding, figuring out my website, getting things ready for my LLC and everything. Um, you know, I, I worked really hard in my, my corporate job and, and focusing on that. And then I, I kind of did my uh, extra time to just kind of get things prepared for about six to nine months. So when I did launch, I, I ended my, my job at CBS on a Friday and ethic was, you know, just in full swing on, on Monday. Uh, yeah, I mean, you started to kind of go into it, but obviously the first customer is really important, but I actually think that the second customer is more important because that kind of starts the trend that starts the, the track record and everything like that. So how did you specifically get your second customer or at least your early customers, if you can't remember the second customer? Yeah, I mean, going back to, to then, it was it was a lot of networking for the initial kind of uh, customers. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it was, uh, just through the people that I, uh, that I knew, um, I'm never been really big into like networking groups and stuff. I like one-on-one -on -one networking. So trying to figure out how to bring value to somebody and have those conversations and identify what they kind of need. Um, the first couple of customers is one thing you, you have more time, more desire, more energy, uh, and, and everything when you're starting out to get those, mm -hmm. it's, it's actually a lot harder to keep the funnel full when you're small. And, and that's one of the things that I've really struggled with over the years and had to learn was scalability within the business. And then um, also making sure that that funnel remains full, which in all honesty, if you're a one person shop, you can only do so much because you have to service your clients that you do have because your most important clients are often the ones that are actually already giving you the trust and the money to do work for them. But then you also have to know that they are not going to stick around. Um, average client retention for an ad agency is anywhere between three and five years, roughly. So at some point, you know, whatever, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, whatever the reason, they they might want to do a switch that ends up taking money out of your pocket. So you have to make sure that your funnel is constantly full. You're constantly doing the sales process uh, for yourself and not just trying to focus on your only clients, but you have to give them the attention and dedication, mm -hmm. the service uh, in order to make sure that you have a good retention rate as well. When did you, was there like a moment that you figured, okay, it's, I'm, I'm done being a solo entrepreneur. It's time to like hire a team. It's time to, you know, really start this as a company and not just a consulting gig. Like what, when did that time come? 
Yeah, so I, I entered into starting this with that being my intention is to hire people on. When I was actually faced with it, I was making more money than I ever had. Um, I was working a lot and, and everything, but I also, you know, now it's simple for me to look back and be like, yeah, it's obvious the path that was going to take and everything. Uh, but at that time, I was like, I might be able to make more money and have less stress by not having employees based off of all the conversations I had with people that did have employees as well. Wait. So once I was actually at that stage, there is that little bit of, should I just be a consultant? And I was like, no, that's not the plan. The plan is actually to get it into kind of the shape that, you know, at that time I would dream about where we're at right now. And that's where I thought would be the pinnacle. And now that I'm in it, I'm like, well, what's the next thing? How do, what's the, where you already have the long-term vision for the next thing. Um, but, you know, I, I, I just think at that time, it was about prioritizing what needed to get done and then going after it. Well, then uh, I guess I'll ask how, you know, if there's any plans for your vision for the next thing. I know you have um, a new product coming out. So two part question there. You can kind of push it into one if you want to. But uh, what is the plans to get to the next thing? And is it this new product? Do you want to talk about that for a second? Yeah. So there's i guess and i've already mentioned it but the I'm, i i think that a lot of our success at ethic has been because of the long-term vision planning of identifying what kind of agency you want to be and then acting like that mm -hmm. um so for example uh our vision is to be you know a little less than double the revenue that we have right now and to have about 22 to 25 four people um, uh, at our company. Uh, we're about to hire on our 13th uh, employee uh, here in the next little bit, just actually signed our job offer out yesterday. Um, but, you know, having that long-term vision of this is what our company looks like. So what kind of processes and structure makes sense for that company? And instead of doing what makes sense for us now and what works for us now, let's put the things in place for that to allow us to, to scale and get to that. So we are actively working uh, constantly on improving our processes. The thing that we're doing now over the last probably three years, we've, we've really written those things on paper and done training videos and all of these other things as, as, as well for our process-driven kind of mentality. But now we're, we're actually in the process of pushing that all together into a master manual. It's already 75 pages. It's going to have all the information to basically be like, this is how you run the agency um, and make it really clear or optimize our time. We also really focus on culture and core values uh, to make sure that that's, that's really firm and in place. So balancing people's time between what they are passionate about in their personal life and what they're passionate about in their professional life as well, too. And uh, true in our, a good effort of being a rapidly growing company um, while still being able to balance it, not trying to have anybody burn out. So there's a lot of little things, a lot of those little pit stops along the way to get that, that long-term vision that we're working on. Um, and then also just profitability levels as well, too. For me as an owner, my focus isn't to just like build something and exit or live in it forever or whatever it is. My focus is actually to make this as profitable as um, it possibly can be. So whenever I get to that level, I can do honestly whatever I want. I can take a step back and just be the chairperson. I can sell the company. I can sell part of the company. Um, and I'm working on educating myself of my different options. But the reality of it is, is I want to be able to focus on making it as valuable as possible, not just for myself, but also for my team as well too. 
you know, if we're not profitable, if we don't have a good culture and everything, it's not going to be a great place for them to work. And that's why we have a really amazing um, retention rate of 100% for our full timers and everything. Uh, along with that, um, we have uh, a new product that you mentioned that's coming out. So we've always been focused on the service side of things, of providing services to do the strategy and the media buying and the digital uh, placement, which we do pretty much all in-house uh, and running digital campaigns, as well as the creative services that go along with that. But it's always been service-based. This is our first endeavor uh, from listening to the conversations and the people that we've had to actually build our own ad tech, mm -hmm. uh, which is centered around something that we're strong in, which is programmatic uh, digital advertising, specifically in geofencing space. So hyper-targeted, which is part of our DNA, uh, on a physical location. So we're talking about targeting people that have, if I'm Burger King, targeting people that walked into the McDonald's and serving them display or uh, OTT or video pre-roll uh, uh, ads and, and everything. So what we realized uh, through this product that we call QJAM is there's a lot of closed doors is what we're calling them of entry where someone has to have a managed service or somebody's getting ranked over the coals on their CPM or their rate, or they have to have a monthly minimum um, or they can't use their credit card or they don't have a live dashboard or any of those things. Uh, we actually do backend um, services or we provide all the backend services for geofencing.com, geoconquesting.com, uh, and everything we have a partnership with them to have those conversations. So we've had hundreds of conversations about geofencing and ethic isn't even the right solution for them, nor is there really anything else out there. So this tech is kind of like a Robin Hood thing of listen to people, try to give them what they want and blow those closed doors wide open to say, hey, here's a self-serve geofencing platform that you can use that isn't going to price gouge you, that isn't going to have um, these stringent, minimum requirements where you have to spend, you know, $2,000, $10,000 a month or whatever it might be. And it's actually built on the best technology. We're not recreating the technology. We're just making that access available for the best technology for geofencing to the general public. Uh, that's really interesting. What, um, what are your goals for it? Like, you know, the way that I hear it on my side is, um, you know, it can be a pretty big risk. You're taking resources away from other things or you're maybe you're hiring additional resources. Um, I guess I'm wondering, you know, is this something that can potentially double quadruple your current revenue because it's a it's a service or it's a, it's more of a product than a service? Um, is this something that if it fails, like it takes a huge hit on the company? Like what what does that look like moving forward potentially? Yeah, so I have to mitigate the risk on this because anytime we're doing, like, I mean, we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars. We're talking about, you know, many, many hours. Um, I'm, I'm hiring, you know, a position to help with that as well, too. So it's a big investment. Um, but it's one that, in theory, if it works, it could be, and, and, and I think that anything that's intellectual property or actually something that's tangible like this, especially the automated nature of it, where it doesn't kind of, isn't going to need as much overhead as a service-based agency could eclipse what we're doing with ethic and they feed off of each other. I'm not diverting my interest into something completely different. It's very aligned and it's all actually under the ethic advertising LLC brand. We have the agency and then we have QJAM as well too. So I think that it's aligned, but one of the things that's really important in my advisor, Jeremy, who's brilliant, he, he, he runs um, one of Gary Vaynerchuk's companies right now in the NFT space. He worked at Twitter, built companies and stuff, MIT, uh, PhD, like very smart guy. 
and everything. And I was talking with him the other day and, you know, his advice and what my thinking is as well too, is, Hey, what does success look like? What give yourself a deadline. And if you're hitting these KPIs, what's your game plan, your business plan for that. If you're hitting these KPIs, so it's like underperforming, if you're hitting like your on par KPIs, what's your business plan for that. And then what if this thing takes off? Because it is an automated thing. There's there's the component of people can just find QJAM and then sign up themselves and do it all 100% on their own, completely automated, completely in their hands, right? So if that's for whatever reason takes off, and I think, how do we keep up with that as well too? So I think that it could greatly increase the value of the overall ethic um, uh, company uh, and be like a nice play for, hey, we got this lead, it's not right for us, but maybe it's good for QJAM or vice versa and everything. So there's a big play with it. So I think that um, tech and intellectual property is actually the way to increase the value of a company to really bolster it. Now, full, you know, coming full circle, it could be a waste of hundreds of thousands of dollars and a lot of time and everything. So there should be a plan that's in place with, with that. And QGM should never be in a position to cripple the business and the good stuff that we're doing at Ethic, nor be a distraction from our legacy uh, uh, business as well, too. Yeah, no, I love I love that uh, approach towards, you know, set your goal and then what does it look like in these three different scenarios? Um, I think it's very obvious to think like that, but I don't think it's really executed or actually practiced very often. So, um, yeah, very interesting. How did you find your advisor? How did you get your advisor? Um, that's actually that's a neat story. And I think that it's it's, it's a little bit of a longer one, but I'll try to keep it short. Um, but. Jeff Nicholson um, used to be the CMO for VaynerMedia. He now is the CEO of Tracer, which is uh, which is a, a product that I believe Gary is a, is a part of as well too. He was on a podcast years ago, um, and it was like something barter, like branding and barter, or something like that. The premise of it was it was kind of neat, and I forget who the host of it was, but he was on it, and it was all about like, hey, I'm going to give you something. Um, uh, Jeff Nicholson to be on the show, but in, in return, we want you to give something to, to one of our listeners. And it's like this little kind of bartering thing. So, hmm. um, he's, I mean, Jeff is, is brilliant. Like he's, he's an incredibly smart individual. So there's all these comments in there of what they would give them. And like, if you come to Houston, I'll give you Houston Rockets tickets. Uh, I'll do a week's worth of social media advertising, like, like optimization for you for free. And I always thought that was funny. Cause I'm like this, like, like he's got that covered and everything. And I was like, well, what does this guy not not have and everything. So I did a little research and I saw that there's a tie to Pencils of Promise, which is a nonprofit. And I said, Hey, I'm in Pittsburgh, you're in New York. If, um, uh, if, and it was, and it was barting for an, an hour of his time and everything. That's what he was giving up. Uh, so I was like, if I can come to New York for that meeting, I'll spend the rest of my day helping out Pencils of Promise and giving back to that, you know, something that, that, he can't get on his own is time and energy and, and, and yes. kind of a brand thing for that. And mm -hmm. I was selected for that. So I was able to go out there, do that interview. Uh, he's like, there's really nothing for you to do actually like here while you're here. Um, so just do something else. So we had a, like a um, client appreciation office party and everything and raised some money for the, the nonprofit and stuff. And that's how we kind of gave to it. But um, Jeremy is the guy that Jeff goes to.
So he's like, I don't do anything in the tech space without running by him, their friends, their buddies and everything. Uh, and he's like, I think that he'd be interested in talking with you because he likes helping entrepreneurs. So that's kind of how we got connected. So it, it goes through and it's funny how this happens multiple times for me. It goes through just doing something very basic, very small to make a, a connection that brings value to something. And then that thing just snowballs. And it might take, in this case, five years. It, you know, uh, for it to kind of get to where it is and who knows where it's going to, those relationships are going to take you. But I think that that, and then just being good. And I've stayed in touch with them and saying, Hey, that advice that you gave me, this is what we're doing. This is how it's helped me scale this area and just staying in touch with them as a, as a bit of a mentor and everything has really kind of helped out. And then it led me to another great advisor who is just brilliant in the ad tech space um, that I couldn't ask for a, um, uh, a better person to, to be able to bend their ear for. That was that was great. Um, you know, I'm actually kind of glad that you didn't ever use the word luck in there. Um, I, I think it was Seneca. I've said it a few times on the, probably on this podcast that luck is the combination of preparation and opportunity. And I think that, you know, there clearly was that opportunity um, and you were have been preparing yourself for that just to get in that meeting. Right. You've been preparing yourself for something like that. And then you got a little bit creative um, to get in there. So, uh, yeah, that was that was great. If you had to teach something to other marketers, what would it be? So I know this is a lot about the owners and everything. Do you want me to talk about the mar the actual marketers or about the owners? I guess the marketers is anything, any way direction you want to take that. So I did a panel at University of Pittsburgh for the for AMA. So I was so like young people and people that are looking and we've been in a hiring mode as well too. So people looking for the careers kind of within there is, is top of mind. So one of the things that I would give advice to um, for people in that regards is to treat yourself like a brand. Um, I get a lot of the same resumes. I get a lot of the blandness. I, I don't get much that wows me, which is really disappointing in the marketing and advertising space. <laughs> like, like bring more to the table, um, submit a cover letter. I would say 95% of people don't submit cover letters anymore. So I'm left to just looking at stats and there's no feeling, there's no emotion, there's no reasoning that can actually be put into a cover letter or video. I, I love actually getting videos that we've actually kind of required that for some positions of like, hey, answer these questions, do it in video form and see who actually does it. Um, but do something to stand out and, and everything and that could that could really help you. And then the other interesting thing is, is that I noticed is, especially for young people, it's all the same. I do social media, I do content and everything. There's so many different things in the um, advertising space to broaden your horizon so you know more about them. But there's also a lot more opportunities in some of the less cluttered space. If you don't have a lot of competition, but uh, and there's opportunities there, well, you're more likely to get those careers and those paths and those jobs and maybe even get paid a little bit better as well, too, uh, than if you're in a space where, you know, everybody else is swimming in. Uh, and stuff. So one of the good examples is when I was doing that panel um, and I was get, talking about that a little bit, I said, raise your hand if you know about, if you know about social media advertising or all hands shot, shot up. Right. Raise your hand if you have on social, all the hands shot up. And I was like, great. You all have experience and everything. Raise your hand if you know about programmatic digital advertising. One person's hand actually went kind of up because she just heard about it like a week ago. And out of a group of maybe, I don't know, 30, 40 students and everything, that was it. And, yeah. and stuff. And that little bit of experience, just knowing kind of what that is can actually go a long way, especially when you're younger, 
but um, a lot of people kind of don't realize the the width of, of the opportunities within the ad space and the marketing space, and then realize that, hey, everybody's over here digging for gold. Why don't I just go over here and look and see if there seems like there's gold over here for me to dig in and maybe become a expert in a more niche location or at least be aware of the different opportunities out there. Uh, I actually talked about this on the last episode, but there's a book called Purple Cow, which isn't totally directly related to what you're saying, but it's definitely um, you can take ideas from there. And it's, it's, you know, if everyone's a black and white cow, cows are cool. Don't get me wrong. I like looking at cows, but like, if you see a purple cow, that's obviously standing out. I have to take a picture of that, everything like that. So I think that's, I, I think that's kind of what you're saying is, you know, at least try to be a purple cow when it comes to something like resumes, where you are just looking at, to keep the analogy alive, black and white cows over and over again. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and there are like, you know, for this last position, we had over 300 resumes and everything. So there is resume fatigue and everything. Um, you know, if you're applying at a bigger company, you're going to have even more or more resumes, but you also have people that are more dedicated to that. And that's what they're kind of used to. But doing something that stands out and taking a chance, that's what people want to see in a lot of the positions um, that are at a an ad agency or a marketing firm. No, that's a great suggestion. Uh, last question. Any book or podcast recommendations? Uh, yeah, uh, that could be business marketing had nothing to do with it. Fiction, whatever you want. Yeah, so to tie on to your purple cow, when the, the book that came to mind is um, what was part of last year's book club. So ethic, we we pick one book, we read it, and then we discuss it and everything. Um, and it's called Contagious: Why Things Catch On. Um, the author is slipping my mind uh, and everything. So if you're able to like edit, like and find it and put the link or something. Jonah in, in Burger. What's that? Jonah Berger. Jonah Berger, yeah. So it, it's all about a academic approach of understanding, well, why does something go viral? Why does something catch on? What's the science behind it and everything? So that's really good for your personal brand, but also as a marketer of understanding kind of the psychology of, of people. So I really enjoy that book. Um, and that's kind of tied into the Purple Cow book, it sounds like as well, too. Anything else? This is my um, favorite part. So I, I usually squeeze the grape a little bit on this one. Yeah, no, the, uh, I guess the only other thing that I really, really am passionate on is Libby. Um, so the library app. Um, so anybody that listens to books or read books on a device or anything like that, I highly, highly recommend it. If you have a library card, A, go get a library card if you don't. But if you have a library card, you can sign on to Libby and then you have access to thousands of free audiobooks and um and just uh, uh ebooks as well too so i guess that would be my my number one thing is to do that because the really cool thing with that is a you save some money but b you can honestly be like hey i'm gonna rent this book out because it's like a library you have to if it's available you can rent it out for like 21 days or something like that and then it goes back into the queue uh and or if it's like a couple people in line you have to wait a little bit uh, to get it. So you might not get the book that you want right away, but eventually you'll get it. And then the neat thing is, is you can just download a, a audio book, listen to a little bit of it. And then if you distract or anything like that, it's no big deal. You don't waste that money and you can always go back to it and stuff. But Libby, um, uh, L-I-B-B-Y is, is by far one of the best education tools out there that is a hundred percent free and, uh, and will save people money and also allow them to grow their knowledge and their entertainment if they if they read or listen to books on for you know for fun or anything like that that was it that was a great suggestion i think we've always gotten literal books um and podcast recommendations so yeah uh, was, no, i'd rather give a suggestion that gives access to tens of thousands of books I I one yeah 
Yeah, no, that was that was a hell of a good answer. Um, and as we come up to the end of the episode, I just want to give you an opportunity to mention how people can find you and anything else you'd like to mention. Yeah. Um, so would it be cool to put some of my contact information in, in your descriptions as well, too? Uh, so that would be a great place to look. Uh, I am on LinkedIn, so you can find me there. So if you just Google search Jeff Swartz um, ethic advertising, you'll you'll be able to find a lot of my stuff. So uh, by all means, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. That's a great way to, to connect and follow me uh, and stay up to date on content. Um, you know, for our two brands, our websites are ethic-ads.com, A-D-S. Uh, and then QJAM.com uh, is Q-U-J-A-M. Uh, so both of those would be some good areas as well, too. But you know, honestly, just reach out to me on LinkedIn. That's probably the best way to, to connect. Awesome. I think that's how we connected as well. So um, no, this has been great. Um, you know, I think that this episode was honestly full of uh, tidbits and, and suggestions. So um, from start to finish. So I thought that was really good. And uh, for those who have learned something new in this episode, please give us a like or a follow so we can continue obviously getting the highest quality of guests. And as always, thank you guys for listening. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening to the Masters in Marketing Agency podcast. I hope you got a ton of value out of this episode. And before we go, I just want to thank our sponsors, DevNoodle. DevNoodle provides marketing agencies with the ability to offer their clients unlimited website design, build, and management services with fixed monthly plans. If website design, development, and maintenance is holding your agency back from growing, please reach out to us at devnoodle.com, where we make websites easy, easy for you and easy for your clients, devnoodle.com.